0: You're listening to Parenting Our Future with Certified Parent Coach Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hey everybody, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome to another episode of Parenting Our Future. And speaking of the future, speaking of parenting, if you are like me and you have a teenager and you are thinking about where are they gonna go for university and college, you need to listen to this episode. I have an expert on, his name is Dr. Sharag Samassian and he's the founder of Sharassian Academic Consultant and one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions, college, graduate school admissions. And for nearly 20 years, he and his team have helped thousands of students get into medical school and top colleges using his systematic and proprietary approach. All right. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to have somebody who's kind of like on the inside, who knows what the colleges are looking for. So thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Robin.
0: Yeah, you're so welcome. So let's start at the beginning, like this daunting task. And I know that a lot of parents feel a lot of different emotions from fear to anxiety, to lots of worry. I'm sure there's sleepless nights about this. So where do we even start in this process?
1: Yeah, boy. Um, So when we think about college admissions, Robin, we typically think about the end game, right? Um, Parents usually have in mind uh, the specific schools that they hope that their, you know, their child attends or the specific careers that they hope that their child, you know, goes into. And so then it becomes the, well, this is what we want and how the heck do I actually get there? Um, and that's coming, right? And so at every stage yeah. in the college admissions process, you, uh, you focus on different things. So people think about the actual applications and the results and stuff like that, but the, but the work is done the years prior, right? Making sure to participate in the right extracurriculars and so on and so forth. So that when you actually get to the application stage, you have good raw materials to, to actually deliver that. Right. Um, So if you're cooking a roast beef, but you don't have beef at the time that you have to start cooking, you're, you're kind of in trouble right? So you have to develop the raw materials that you need to eventually put all that stuff together. And so early on in the process, you have to, you know, make sure to figure out what the right course path is going to be. Okay. If I take this in ninth grade, what opportunities will that allow for 10th grade? Or if I take this other course, what will not be available to me later? So drawing out that roadmap early on is important. Uh, and then beyond that making sure that your extracurricular profile is, is really well tailored to, to the type of things that you're interested in and want to communicate. So if a student is really uh, interested in becoming a pre-med student, well they might focus much more on you know health related service activities, uh, patient exposure and volunteer experiences, science uh, science research and, and things of that nature versus someone who's interested in, in the law or in some other area or whatever, they're going to pursue a completely different path. So by helping students develop that unique profile over the years, they're going to be in a much stronger position when they eventually apply.
0: Right. So we're, we're talking that, like you said, grade nine, grade eight. So we're really talking like they're babies when they need to start thinking about this stuff.
1: Still. Yeah. And, and people, you know, approach it at different stages. You know, people will reach out to me at the end of 11th grade and saying, uh, you know, my college applications are coming up this fall. How can you help me with those? Um, and then other people, you know, will come earlier and they say, you know, I want a, you know, a game plan from the beginning. Uh, And, and it's obviously preferred to start earlier because, you know, Mm -hmm. we can, we can then have influence over the whole process versus just, you know, at the end. But um, there's, it's one of those, uh, you know, Robin, when they say like the best time to start was yesterday, the second best time to start is today. It's, it's essentially like that. But, you know, sometimes when people reach out to me in like fifth, sixth grade, And, you know, it's like, well, we can, you know, help them develop their interests, but from a college admission standpoint, at that point, just develop the right, you know, study habits, make sure to, you know, pursue interests and learn what you like. But as far as, you know, serious college planning, um, I don't think it needs to start that early.
0: I don't think so either, because don't you think that's more about the parent than the kid really anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Although look, as, as a mom and I have two boys, I mean, you can see interests that they have really early on you know so 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 it's not all it's not all parents i mean some kids just are driven oh, and sure. they just know, yeah so um okay so so what like if if we're gonna stand out you know because look there's a lot of competition right if if your child is going to stand out amongst the others what do they need is it extracurriculars is it volunteer is it like what, what do they need
1: yeah so It's uh let's go back to, I guess, a historical perspective on this, I think would be helpful. So if you talk to folks who, you know, apply to top colleges in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even, you know, early part of the 2000s, it was okay to be much more well-rounded, right? You know, take the hardest courses at your school, get good grades, you know, be president of this, that, and the other, win some competitions, and then apply to college and you'll probably be fine. Now that became, you know, very easy to replicate, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to take the hardest courses at my school. I'm going to join every club my school offers. And then I'm going to write some essays and hope for the best. Now, when, when people started thinking, oh, that would be a good idea. You start, you started seeing a lot of people who look like essentially copycats are like mass produced, yeah. uh, you know, strong, you know, high achievers. So, yeah. you know, everyone looked the same. And oftentimes, you know, parents will tell me, well, my kid is, you know, number one or number two in their class and, you know, in their high school, whatever. It's like, okay, that's one high school in one region and you're competing with basically all of the same kids from all over the world. And so um, you quickly realize that, yes, even though you're at in the first percentile or, you know, whatever, 95 percentile and higher on an absolute value level like that, the number of people like that is not small, especially when the types of schools we're looking to get into only enroll a a few thousand people a year. Right. And so it becomes a very, very select group. And that's why you see acceptance rates in, you know, the below 5% these days for, for some of the best schools. And so what does it take? So if everyone's looking the same on paper, well, you got to figure out a way to look different. Um, And the way to look different is, is not by doing obscure things. I'm not saying, you know, play a sport, no one plays or nothing (laughs) like that, but making sure that you develop very, very deep interests and pursue them at a, in a way that's incredibly impactful to whatever community it is that you want to serve. So that, you know, population or community, we can interpret that pretty broadly. And um, you can say, well, I want to serve kids with autism, or you can say, I want to serve the, you know, the, the cancer research community, it doesn't matter. And then figuring out what problem do I want to solve? So for instance, if, uh, someone's very interested in, you know, uh, working with kids with disabilities and the problem they want to solve is, you know, parental acceptance of their child's, uh, developmental disability. Okay. How do you want to tackle that? well I want to work within my own specific community so I'm Armenian American and you know a lot of Armenian folks are um, you know there's a big stigma against mental health and developmental disability issues Mm -hmm. and so maybe it's about raising awareness and acceptance within my own community right and and so doing a lot of work there whether it's putting together you know seminars doing research or um, maybe you know working with those kids directly or whatever the case might be. But Mm -hmm. by developing a very strong specific profile and making a deep impact, you'll be known as, you know, what I call quote unquote, that guy or that gal. So like, Oh, who's he? Oh, he's the guy who, you know, work with a lot of kids with autism or, Oh, she's the gal who did X, Y, and Z. So if you can, you know, you can develop that sort of theme or, you know, a shtick or specialty, uh, then you're going to be in good shape.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. So really, Whatever you're really interested in, take that to your community and and help and support in 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 that area. Is that sort of that's sort of what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's
1: one example. Essentially, take yeah. something to a very deep level. So if you're you know if you're a science research nerd, and I mean nerd in the best way, I'm sure uh, you, you do. do that. <laughs> do that for years. Um, you know, go deep. People colleges are looking for people who have intense passion, like intense interests, who pursue things intensely. In other words, like. They're, they're super nerdy about something. They love it and they go all in. Um, And if you have that sort of intellectual curiosity or vitality and you've actually pursued it rather than just, you know, think about pursuing it in the future, then that's going to be great. Because if you think about, you know, let's say I'm a, I'm a Princeton, right? We're talking about top colleges. They're looking for people who they're eventually going to brag about. You know, when you go to all these schools, what do they like to talk about on their websites, on their, form? notable alumni? Oh, you know, that famous person, he's one of us, she's one of us. And so if you can show them, look, my track record up to this point is a certain thing. And that's a preview for what I'm going to do in the future. Imagine how good I'll be following my Princeton education and, you know, my adult years and stuff like that. So give them a taste of how deep you can take stuff when you get really curious.
0: Okay, so what if, what if you don't have that? What if you are just top one or two in your class and you wanna get into Princeton? Is it like hopeless?
1: It's not hopeless. It's just uh, now you're playing the lottery a little bit. Um, So it's all about boosting odds, right? So there there are a handful of students, not a hand, a little more than that. Um, You know, in any entering class at a top university, I don't know. I'll just pull a number. Let's call it twenty percent, twenty-five percent. There are some people that are just shoe-ins. Maybe they have like multiple patents, or number one in the country at some ultra yeah, competitive yeah. thing. You know, like so the like the super brilliant kids who are just who are just gonna get in, right? Yeah. But and then there are there are certain people who have like done you know, developed a really nice profile and, you know, chances are they're going to get into one or two really top schools, which ones we don't necessarily know, but they'll get in somewhere good. And then I think there's a lot there are, the rest. Um, they're going to be a little bit of toss ups. They they might get into a top 10 but more likely a top 20 they're on the borderline for a top 10, which specific ones we don't know. So, so the less of a profile you build. So the more, I guess uh, I hate using the word cookie cutter rod, but I, but I hope uh, it's clear what I mean in this context, very high achieving, but not particularly unique. The, the more, the more like everyone else you look, the lower your odds, the more you're leaving it to chance. So if you want to leave it less to chance, which I'm sure everybody who's interested in these schools does, then you need to develop that specialty.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you say top 10, top 20, let's talk about that. I mean, what what is the what's the hype? Is it brand? Is it just branding and marketing? Is it really a better quality education? Is it just like, is it just the status of saying I've gone to Harvard, Princeton, Yale?
1: I think it's all of those things. Um, So, you know, better education, you know, the student who's going to a lesser known state school might use the same exact textbook that the student you know read you know go get Yeah that's heart. pretty my point yeah so so from that standpoint if, so and if it was just a knowledge issue robin um we can all buy books at the you know at at the local store and read on that material and learn the thing so so college isn't just about like oh you know i i read this material and i learned this content Um, You know, it's not about that, right? It's more so about when we're talking about education, we're talking about, um, you know, level of faculty, who you'll have access to. Because if I'm doing research at the lesser known state school, chances are the faculty I work with is going to be nowhere near as influential Um, or whose work is going to be nowhere near as impactful as, you know, the bio professor I I do research with at Harvard, right? Mm. So there might be, right, there might be someone at, you know, the small state school who's just like really prolific and decided to stay in that place. But for the most part, the odds that you're going to work with someone who's incredibly influential and just a huge name in that field and who's teaching your classes and spurring Mm. discussions and stuff like that is going to be, you know, a a more well-known person, um, your average peer is going to be a higher achiever. So if you like being surrounded by someone, by, by, by people who are just incredibly bright and curious and, you know, challenged the way you think and stuff like that, chances are higher. You're going to be surrounded by more of those people at a top school, um, brand name matters. Of course it does. Um, you know, people, uh, scoff at that sometimes, but it's true, right? If you look at a resume and you see Yale on it there's, you know, you're going to, there's going to be what's known in psychology as a halo effect, which means you're going to assume other good things about them. So halo effect is, um, most commonly used when someone's very attractive physically, you'll start to assume they have other great qualities without knowing anything else. You'll assume they're smarter, they're nicer, all of these different things. And there's a well-known psychological phenomenon. Um, so, you know, same thing, right? So if you see a resume and you see a big name school on there, you're going to assume they're, mm-hmm. they have the right skills for the job. They're going to, you're going to assume all this kind of stuff. So brand name matters, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way, it matters for everything else. Why do we buy Windex versus generic window spray, right? Because we know it's something that is going to be like, we can trust. We know there it's of a certain quality and that matters in the world. Um, So it's not just about the quote unquote, you know, book learning, um, but it's also about like the the educational and extracurricular and, you know, maybe even social and, uh, you know, other opportunities.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so I hear what you're saying. So you're saying that these top schools have access to the top people in the industry because those people want to be associated with those top schools and chances sure. are also that the that your fellow students are going to be as passionate as you are because they're in that school because of the all of that they've done to get there, sure. and they're probably the future leaders in that field too. So you want to be with those people too.
1: Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you know, one of the things that I know for sure because I hear this a lot with parents uh, in general, school freaks parents out. Uh, And I'm talking about homework from kindergarten on, you know, schoolwork, reading, writing, the whole thing. And I know COVID has really scared a lot of parents because they think their kids are going to be behind and that it's going to leave a mark on their education. And we really don't know yet, right? Um, I tend to think that it's going to be just fine and we don't have to worry about that. But parents get in the way, period. Period right? Because we know all the ways it doesn't work. We maybe are going to transfer our experience from, you know, when we were going to college and our college admissions to our child, maybe we're, we're parenting them through some of our own fear as well. So how do you see parents getting in the way? And what can you tell parents that are listening, how not to get in the way, how to avoid that?
1: Yeah. So first things first, like, um, I fully, right. So I'm a, i am a I don't have a teenager. I have a two year old. Um, but oh. so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, but I see it in we'll myself. Wait. I'm sorry. Wait. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but I bring this up because I, I, I feel for parents because I also know and you know, with my, you know, my wife and I sometimes talk about, oh, like, what do you think he'll do? He he seems to like X, Y, and Z, and like, oh, where do you think he'll go? So like, and this stuff starts really early, where you're where you're thinking in advance about like making sure that he goes, the, pursues this kind of thing. Your your mind trails off, and I think all of that at the end of the day is rooted in our own anxiety slash our hopes for our kids. We want them to be not only okay, but for them to blossom and do great and you know we work hard to put them in the best positions and so I get it the parents parents mean well right Mm -hmm. Um, and we're on the same team right and so you know my job is to help you know our students achieve their educational and career goals Uh, that's why I do what I do it's what I love to do now that can go that can become a problem too if you're so fixated on a certain outcome but also if you think you know how to achieve that outcome, you're wrong. And you don't know that you're wrong. So that's the problem. So Mm -hmm. I get a lot of parents who will come to me and they'll say, Oh, like, I want you to guide, you know, it's so competitive these days. I want, you know, you've done it, you know, your team has done it many times every single year. I want you to help our kids. Sounds good. You get into it first few weeks. And this is not what we imagined would happen. Or like, you know, we th- you know there are different, there's this other person at their school, they're doing this club. I feel like my kid's behind all that kind of stuff. So it's this weird thing because it's like, I know I don't quite know how to make it happen. So I'm hiring support. But I think I know what it should be, even though I don't know. And that's why I hired the support in the first place. Mm. So you get into the, so you get into this whole thing where I think there needs to be a lot of education and buying into, well, the college game has changed and so if you want to increase your odds you just have to approach it in what would be considered unorthodox by a lot of people as far as developing these specialties but what do, but why do we find com, but but i think parents sometimes find a lot of comfort in tangible stuff robin like mm-hmm. at the end of the day you it's hard to It's hard to rank people extracurricularly. Oh, if they did research with this person, what is that? Is that the 99th percentile or is that the 95th percent or is that the 80th percent? It's hard to put a finger on that. As an expert in doing this work for so many years, I can tell how strong a profile is. A parent usually cannot. But if they get a certain score on the SAT and they get an associated percentile, I know how well my kid did. If my kid went to academic decathlon or a national debate tournament and placed X. I know where they stand. So a lot of people find comfort in these sort of tangible results. My kid is at this level compared to other people. But if they start their own community service initiative, build it across a regional network, that seems great. But what percentile is that? And I think people get uncomfortable and sort of come back to what they know, right? And they find comfort in that. So we, we have to so that's the thing with with educating families about, look, hey, you know, um, you know, these are our students results every single year. And sometimes it won't look like what you think it should. But that's why our students achieve the results that they do. So almost like resisting that temptation to like, you know, to to try and like take control over the situation is really, really key. Because we look around, we see what others are doing. We get nervous that like everybody else knows something I don't know. What am I missing? It's not like everybody else would, do, you know, that's another, again, a anthropological phenomenon, right? It's like if, we, if people are doing similar things, we assume it's the right thing to do. Otherwise, not all these people could be wrong, could they? Except most people aren't getting into the top schools. And so if you follow that, you're going to be average like them.
0: Interesting. Good point. Love that. That's such a good point. Well, and how many times do you find that you work with parents who are running their own agenda for their kids? Like they want this more than their kid does. And they're not listening because I think as parents, first and foremost, we have to listen to what our kids want. And not just say, "Well, you're going whether you like it or not." Or, "I've done all this for you. I've invested so much money up to this point with tutors, with special classes, with extracurricular, with all this stuff, and you are going to go and do it." Like, yeah. I bet that happens often.
1: Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say, um, you know, because this stuff, like like we just talked about, begins so young. About like what we want our kids to do, what their natural inclinations are, the types of schools they want to go to. So if I talk to a tenth grader who tells me they want a certain school, is that from their parents? Is that from them? Is it so hard to, di- di- you know, disentangle at this point because we've been they've been talking about it for so long and it's hard to say like what's the genesis of this? I don't mm. know the answer to that, to be quite mm. honest. But I ask students why those schools. Mm. Good. Half the time they can't tell me. And that's okay. It's an opportunity. It's a good way to segue into that conversation. Because if you're, you know, if it's like, well, I want to go to an Ivy, why an Ivy? Well, what's the difference between Brown and Dartmouth? I don't know, but I want an Ivy. No, that's no, we need to talk about this because not all of them are going to be equally good fits for you. There might be other schools uh, that you weren't considering that are, you know, maybe even just as prestigious or, you know, similarly prestigious, but in that field you want to go into are even better, right? So um, it's a good conversation point, you know, asking students like, what where like where do you want to go why what have you heard about well a kid at my school went there last year okay and so let's you know let's have that conversation so it's a little bit of uh i don't know chicken and the egg kind of right like yeah. why did okay. that student want that to begin why are they saying that did it come from the parents did it come from them is it a transactional thing hard to say
0: is there family history is there all that stuff and, and actually asking yeah. about family or the point of family history, does that, does it count? What if you are the sixth in the line? I don't know. I'm just making it up, uh, you know, generationally to ha- go, go to Harvard. Does that matter that you, you know, that you have family that have gone there? Does that matter?
1: Legacy. So that's called legacy, legacy. Um, yeah. in college admissions. And it matters, but to a de- to a degree, I-, I think less and less over time, especially at really top schools. Um, because again, these schools, uh, you know, top schools take, uh, you know, fewer than 5,000 students sometimes enroll each year. So they're not these giant student populations. And well, if all those people for all those decades, you know, went to that school and had kids, I'm sure all these elite schools can fill, um, can fill their entire classes full of legacies And so most of them aren't getting in. So if if things were truly equal and one person has a legacy, will that help? Sure. It might be the little, you know, the, the straw that gets you in kind of thing. But at the same time, consider the, the social context we're living in Robin, where we're talking about, you know, giving students who are from underrepresented minority backgrounds or low socioeconomic status and stuff like that, opportunities and increased diversity and all that kind of stuff. Well, people who are the first in their family to go to college or, you know, have certain opportunities and what, what have you, well, those they're going to take the, you know, quote unquote, take the spots of someone who would have otherwise gotten in before that, right? Mm -hmm. And so there just isn't room for everybody. Mm. And, uh, and so legacy helps, you know, by a smidge.
0: Okay, so um, I have a friend who lives down the street from me. And uh, why do you care? Because he's going to Harvard right now. And he's going to Harvard online. He's, he's a little bit older than me. So he's, you know, not young. Um, has a full career on his own, but is, but is going to Harvard and he joined, um, Harvard or applied to Harvard based on online. There were some ads on how to get into Harvard starting online and then how you did with those online courses qualified you to actually become a student. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as education, you know, moves more and more to the net and we obviously saw this you know, become a necessity during the pandemic. Right. It's going to get really interesting. Um, You know, any, so let me put it to you this way. Most schools that are ultra prestigious, they're not advertising. You're not going to see billboards in your city about apply to Princeton. They don't don't need to spend money on that because they're so elite. So if there are specific, you know, you, you see these like, you know, MBA, you know, online MBAs, do it whenever you want, all this kind of stuff, fully remote, et cetera, you know, why are they doing that? They're looking for more applicants, uh, you know, if you can, you know, if you can have remote learning and you can have, a, you know, theoretically infinite number of students, if you're in university, they're also making money, Right. So um, always look into the specific program um, because not all programs are seen as, you know, this with the same level of prestige as, as others.
0: So you mean within Harvard, really, there could be programs that don't have the same level as, or or do you mean these other ones that get your MBA and, you know, no, no, no,
1: I'm saying, I'm saying even at a, even at a highly, highly prestigious school, like sometimes you'll have, you know, a place like Harvard will have like a certificate in X you know, whatever it is, mm. that's not going to be seen as, you know, as, oh my gosh, you went to Harvard, you know, they're Harvard educated in the same way as like someone who did their undergrad at Harvard, or got their medical degree or their PhD at Harvard and stuff like that. So it's not just about having something on your resume that says, Harvard. like the specifics matter.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we were all going to get those t shirts that say Harvard on them and pretend that we were also Harvard. You students.
1: I mean, you could don't let me stop you. I'm just I'm just ta- I'm just <laughs> giving it. you the real talk.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So um, what about you put all of your hopes and dreams into these schools? I hire you to help, you know, my kids get in or, you know, go through this process and they get rejected. What then? What does that mean? Is there a chance to try again? Is it like, how do you, so how do you handle rejection and, does it mean the door is closed forever?
1: Okay. Um, so, you know, rejection isn't a, I mean, it's binary for that school. You got in, you didn't get in. Obviously, there are weightless and stuff too. But, you know,
0: okay.
1: what's the whole landscape? You know, you might have thought your whole life you were going to go to, you know, Brown didn't get into brown but you got into another amazing you got into northwestern or something like that so sometimes you know students will be like i've always wanted to go to and then that doesn't work out they're bummed but they get into these other awesome schools and they're like this is awesome now i'm all about northwestern and i'm gonna go to northwestern so oftentimes it's it's ultra rare for you know students who are very 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 high achieving to not get in anywhere you know among the elite places they applied okay. so so it's um now it does have like for every year i will get um i'll I'll be approached by let's call it two three families who just they overshot and they thought their student was more competitive than they are and they didn't get in to all these great schools and they they got into you know they're just their state university which is a fine school but that's not what they envisioned for themselves and they ask for our help and they ask the question, well, should they apply as a transfer, as a sophomore transfer, a junior transfer, or yeah. should, they, um, should they wait and apply again as a freshman? And what do they do during that period, right? So those are, those are important questions to ask. Um, first of all, if you get rejected, um, many schools will accept an appeal letter. It's very rare to get in via appeal, but it's, it's possible. We've helped students do that. Um, same thing with waitlists. You can send a waitlist letter and get off a waitlist. That's true as well. Now, let's say you're just like you're just gonna apply again. Well, if you had a really strong high school background um, and you you know you didn't get you know essay help and extracurricularly you had some weaknesses, you can apply again as a freshman. In fact, just uh, a few weeks back, um, I don't know why I was looking at my calendar date, but it was a few weeks back where there was a student who last fall like this time last year. Um, was uh, mom calls me really upset about their, you know, son's admissions process. They're like, what do you think? Can they apply again? Um, and we hadn't helped them before. And I said, yeah, I mean, based on this profile, I feel pretty good about helping them get into a top school. And, uh, and a year later, uh, they're going to go to an IV this fall. And mm. so um, you have to evaluate the school, the student's strength. Was this a case where the parents like totally overestimated their kid? Mm. And they're just not that material for a top 20 school or is it that they are or they can be with a little bit of help if it's the latter you can apply again as a freshman if you're not quite there you probably you might want to enroll at a different school and look if you're going to transfer so it's very case by case it's not all over in other words robin once you get Mm. you know
0: rejected yeah okay and so is your recommendation to apply to as many schools as you can
1: if it depends, uh it depends on your profile. So if you really have no shot at us at certain schools, I don't know how worthwhile it's gonna be. But if you have a strong enough profile, casting a wide net, even in that competitive sphere, will help. Because this past cycle, you know, the 2020 to 2021 cycle, saw every school basic, every elite school had record-breaking numbers of applications. And so I promise you. Everyone will learn about this, everyone will feel anxious, and this fall will be a similar number of applications, if not even more, because they're reacting to that. So should you uh, send more applications? Probably. Um, Now, the thing is, students who weren't competitive to begin with aren't competitive now but students who were competitive because you have so many more applications and this test optional movement, you're going to get a lot more randomness introduced into the process. Like we had a student this cycle who got into Princeton, but not Cornell. Um, and I went to Cornell, my alma mater, I love it. Um, but you know, Princeton's much more selective. And so that, that's a very strange pattern. Or we saw someone get into Berkeley, but not UC Irvine, a very strange pattern. In other words, so there's more randomness in, the, in admissions results today than ever. So I think applying to more schools is a good idea. Um, absolutely.
0: What do you mean by test optional?
1: Oh, um, so many schools, uh, even before the pandemic, had gone to where, you know, it's optional whether you want to submit an ACT or an ACT, uh, an ACT or an SAT, excuse me. And the one elite school, even before the pandemic that, that, you know, went with this was the University of Chicago. But all the IVs had still been mandatory. And then with the pandemic, you know, because so many tests were canceled and all the, you know, some kids couldn't take it because, you know, they had parents at home or susceptible and all these kinds of things uh, or immunocompromised they you know basically every university said okay this uh, this cycles test optional and so um and so that obviously brought in more students who applied who might have not applied because they're like who knows maybe i'll get into some of these schools that i otherwise wouldn't you know because i don't have the greatest test but i think i'm great in these other ways some of those kids got in and so they occupied spots that would have in previous years been taken by other people so it's, it's interesting, and we don't know what exactly it will look like in the future, um, you know, what, what this fall will look like. I imagine it will stay test optional, though I don't know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then in future years, what will it look like? Um, will it be all test optional? Does that mean it's test optional for you if you have the resources to study for these and get all these prep materials and courses? Will it right. still be expected of you? These are all things that um, we're going to learn in real time. So
0: never a dull moment in your world. That's for sure. Oh,
1: no, no, no. There's always something to panic about for sure.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I'm sure the pandemic just threw everything upside down like that. Yeah, again, it just
1: introduced uncertainty and uncertainty makes us uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Well, uh, you know, there is so much more on this subject to talk about. We didn't, you know, we didn't even get to to even some of the questions that I had, but I think that that's okay because you're giving everybody uh, an amazing guide. It's 110 pages, by the way, and it is how to get into America's elite colleges, the ultimate guide. So that is what you're giving our listeners. And, And, you know, as, as you know, we talked about, um, you are a big fan of where I'm from, which is Vancouver in uh, British Columbia, Canada. And, uh, and so if you aren't from the States, you know there are some things that are universally true. And, um, and of course, this is important if you are going to go to a school in the States, but there's a lot of things here that make sense for every parent to know uh, and every student to know going through this process, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're um, certainly if you're applying to school in the States, uh, then 100% applies to you as far as, you know, building a great profile, how to write strong essays, developing the right college list. Um, but then, you know, even if you're applying to schools outside the States, you know, the, the, how to build, you know, type of profile that's compelling for admissions committees and um, how to, you know, pursue courses in a way that's challenging, but that play to your strengths. So there's advice and I think there's something for everybody.
0: Oh, That's so great. Thank you so much for that. And uh, we'll put all of the links in the show notes and in the Parent Toolbox. So, so that guide is available in the Parent Toolbox, which is www.parent-toolbox.com. And you can join the free membership and you can access this amazing guide, download it, keep it, use it. Uh, and all of your information is going to be in there. But just for the purposes of this uh, of, of this podcast, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, just by visiting the site, um, shamasandconsulting.com. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's contact forms everywhere. So folks can reach out however they'd like, whether via email, by filling out the form, and so on.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and you've got a link to book a call a consultation call with Mm -hmm. you and your colleagues. So, um, so that's really helpful. Thank you for doing what you're doing and for walking through this process with me, which I guess I should have started yesterday, like you said, and uh, I guess we'll be looking at this today, but uh, either way, I'm better for knowing this information. Thank you so much.
1: This was a treat. Thank you, Robin.